We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission. You're listening to KCBS In-Depth. We came very close to a catastrophic breakdown of our democratic accountability. The people, places, and issues the Bay Area is talking about. Right now, we're kind of stuck in this cycle where every summer we're hearing another story about a big fire and a town burning down. It's still extremely difficult to hold government agencies accountable for abuses that take place in the name of national security. This is KCBS In-Depth. With the Omicron surge now fading, California's COVID policy has been changing fast in recent weeks as the state lifts restrictions and lays out a new endemic approach to dealing with the virus. But while many Californians see these steps as a welcome turn towards some sense of normalcy, others who are more vulnerable to the virus say they're being left behind. Welcome to KCBS In-Depth. I'm Keith Manconi, and today on the program, we're going to hear from a number of Bay Area residents suffering from long-term illnesses that put them at heightened risk from COVID-19, and discussing with them what's on their mind as many others begin to relax their COVID precautions. I've spoken to a couple of families about their situation, and we'll be hearing their stories a bit later on in the program. But first, let's introduce our guests who we'll be hearing from throughout the program. Uh, first up, that would be Lindsay Ryan. She's an internal medicine and HIV doctor in San Francisco. Lindsay Ryan, welcome to you. Thanks so much for having me. And also going to welcome on Dipthi Barot. Uh, she's a primary care physician in the East Bay who wrote a recent opinion piece for the San Francisco Chronicle uh, criticizing our approach to reopening. Dipthi Barot, welcome to you as well. Thank you, Keith. So both of you suffer from an autoimmune disease that uh, makes you more vulnerable to COVID infections, uh, immune compromised. Um, starting off, wondering if you could tell us, our listeners, a little bit about what the past two years have been like and what changes you've had to make to keep yourselves safe, just to give our listeners some sense of that. Uh, Lindsay Ryan, uh, starting with you. Yeah, I think like everyone else, every day during the pandemic, there's a little bit of a risk benefit calculation when you're considering what you can do, what you decide not to do. And I think for immunocompromised people, the risk side of that calculation is much greater. So it does end up constraining your life. I wear an N95 every time I leave the house. It's like a phone or a wallet at this, at this point, I just pick it up. Um, and a lot of my friends have small maskless gatherings indoors these days. I, I don't, um, you know, just during the Omicron surge, I've skipped a wedding, a birthday party, a weekend away, Christmas events, New Year's, I turned down a job and those things add up over time and they're frequent events. 
Yeah. And uh, Dipti Barot, what would you add to that picture? Yeah, I would definitely echo Lindsay in terms of, you know, there's an endless list of things I haven't been able to participate in that just feel too risky. And, you know, what I would say I've been missing out on is life. You know, I've been missing out on life. I've been missing out on seeing people I love and going to places that I love. And um, I, I miss seeing patients. I actually haven't seen um, patients in person in two years. And I can't tell you how, how jealous I am. You know, there's a lot of envy and jealousy as people live their normal lives and not having the ability to do the things I love has been very, very hard. Yeah. And uh, as we'll be hearing, that experience among immunocompromised folks has uh, been widespread throughout the pandemic, experienced by many others uh, as well. Uh, Lindsay Ryan, to help us out with the medical side of things, talk a little bit, if you could, about how much higher those risks are for medically vulnerable people. Obviously, there's a lot of variation here, but uh, just generally speaking, what should people be keeping in mind? Yeah, sure. Like you said, it really varies. It depends on what the immunosuppressive condition or drug is. It depends on how well the person responded to vaccination. Also depends on how quickly the person gets treated or whether they're able to get treated with antivirals when they do get sick, you know, and what variant the person is infected with. Um, But to give you kind of a rough ballpark, you know, let's say you took some of the many, many studies now on mortality and kidney transplant patients who get COVID. It really, it depends some on the study, but we're looking at death rates somewhere on the order of 20%, sometimes a little less, sometimes more. Uh, So pretty appalling statistics. Yeah, and it's a a level of risk that uh, I think a lot of folks out there probably aren't fully aware of. Uh, Certainly I wasn't before getting ready for this conversation, so uh, certainly something worth highlighting. Uh, And I think that that also sets the table quite well to talk now about this current moment in the pandemic response, all the changes there. Of course, last month, Governor Newsom announced that California would be shifting away from a pandemic stance to an endemic approach for dealing with this virus. What does that mean? Well, uh, while the state is going to continue taking a number of precautionary measures like stockpiling key medical supplies, many of those pandemic restrictions that we've been dealing with for the past two years are being relaxed or dropped entirely. Just this past week, indoor mask requirements were relaxed even further, and uh, we also got an end date for the state's mask mandate at schools. That's now going to be March 11th, this coming Friday. So uh, lots of changes going on, and as we've been hinting at, for many Bay Area families with immune-compromised members, it's all coming at an alarming rate. So up next, we're going to bring in the voices of one of those families. Um, stressed out about what's going to happen during this time. That's Julia Zeuli of San Francisco, whose 10-year-old son Santiago was diagnosed last year with a cancer-like illness that requires chemotherapy for treatment. She says keeping him safe and happy during a pandemic has been a difficult balancing act. It's, it's being in constant fear, but, but trying to, to normalize it so that he has a somewhat normal childhood. Among the tough calls they've had to make, the decision to send Santiago back into the classroom. A decision they made despite the risks, because like many children, Santiago really was not a fan of remote learning. Zoom school was pretty hard. It always lagged out a bit or something. 
So this is a kid that very much wants to be in class. But still, he's feeling uneasy as COVID protections drop. That kind of freaks me out a bit. Santiago talked about his concerns more in a taped conversation with his father, Jonathan, that they held before news came down that San Francisco public schools would also lift their mask mandate. So uh, when they were speaking, the situation was still uncertain. How would you feel if nobody wore masks to school? I'd probably beg my parents not to take me to school. Because? I would, it's really high risk of catching COVID and yeah, it makes me worried because I would have to go to the emergency room if I ever caught it. It would make life really difficult. Now that the school mandate is set to be lifted, Santiago and his family are going to be left with some tough choices. For Julia, it's a frustrating situation. It feels like children like Santiago have been forgotten and we're just moving on without any regard t- towards immunocompromised people, the elderly, other folks that are at higher risk for for COVID because of political reasons. And again, that was Julia Zeuli. Of course, the debate on school masking is a complicated one, and we are by no means going to get to the bottom of it in this conversation. But uh, bringing our guest back in now, uh, Dipti Barot, uh, that sense that we were just hearing right there that you know, we are dropping COVID precautions too quickly and that uh, lots of folks are being left behind uh, seems to be pretty common among immunocompromised folks at the moment. Uh, and uh, my understanding is that uh, you, you share that concern. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with what was just said by this parent, because the reality is we can gradually reopen, we can gradually make a change but we don't have to do it in a way that is reckless and disregards the most vulnerable, whether it's in schools or in workplaces. A mask is a very easy intervention. So to, to get rid of something that is such an easy intervention and put high-risk people at even higher risk really makes a case that policies are being made um, disregarding certain lives, you know? and. I would say that there's a certain segment of the population who should have more easy access to therapeutics, more easy access. For example, we have a monoclonal antibody called Evisheld. It's a pre-exposure prophylaxis for our most vulnerable patients. Um, Not every person has had access to this. The government didn't order enough doses of this. So we're making these changes without making sure that the most vulnerable is protected by therapeutics that exist. They exist, they're out there, but they haven't connected. They haven't gotten those therapeutics, that pre-exposure prophylaxis for our most vulnerable. Why would we be taking off masks and getting rid of precautions before what can protect this vulnerable population is in place? I'm just going to reintroduce you both real quick. For anybody just joining us, this is KCBS In-Depth, your weekly deep dive into the events and trends shaping life in the Bay Area and beyond. I'm Keith Manconi, speaking right now with Lindsay Ryan, who is a doctor in San Francisco, also speaking with Dipti Barot, a primary care physician in the East Bay, both of whom are immunocompromised and facing heightened risk from COVID-19. And 
That is the topic of today, trying to speak with Bay Area residents suffering from prolonged illness about uh, their concerns as we move towards reopening. Uh, Lindsay Ryan, we just heard uh, a couple of measures that um, Dipti Barot feels uh, we should be strengthening before we really uh, jump into reopening in full force. Uh, Anything you would add to that list? Anything uh, else you would want us to keep in mind? Yeah, you know, I think the steps that would make society safer for immunocompromised people actually would largely benefit everyone. You know, there needs to be readily available free access to rapid tests. Um, Dipti already talked about the critical shortages in treatment that need to be resolved. And I also think there are things like federally guaranteed paid sick leave. So people with COVID symptoms, for instance, don't have a disincentive to get tested so they can be assured of the time off they need to recover. And there are things like flexible work policies that would benefit immunocompromised people. Um, none of these, none of these policies, I think, are insurmountable. I don't even think any of them would take that many months to implement in terms of getting in place systems to better access therapeutics, for instance, or rapid tests. But I do feel like there's been a focus on dropping restrictions based on the sole metric of caseloads and hospitalizations. And there's a lot more to risk for many people than caseloads and hospitalization numbers. And I would like to see other variables go into that decision and be considered as core metrics too. And those things would be things like access to life-saving antivirals, access to testing, equity among different populations and communities in their ability to get those things. Yeah. And this might be a good place to bring into the conversation some of the Uh, frankly, ill will that's built up over the past two years among many folks with uh, long-term illnesses who feel like they've been overlooked during this time, their needs have not been prioritized. Uh, We could point to the recent comments of CDC Director Dr. Rochelle Walensky uh, discussing vaccinations. uh, And in that discussion, she cited a study that uh, 75% of those who died despite being vaccinated had, quote, at least four comorbidities. And uh, so then she added that, quote, so really these are people who were unwell to begin with. Uh, Obviously, those comments uh, struck a lot of people the wrong way. Uh, Many people saw it as Walensky minimizing the loss of life among the immune compromised. Walensky later apologized for the comments. But uh, Dipthi, in your opinion piece for The Chronicle, uh, you suggested that the comments uh, were revealing of some widely held attitudes. Well, it those comments were made in the same month that the CDC changed isolation guidelines. Um, and instead of isolating for 10 days, if you're COVID positive, they cut those guidelines to five days. And that cut of, of, of the isolation period wasn't based on any science, really. It was based on the fact that we were going to have almost what I would say an involuntary lockdown because Omicron was spreading and so many people were sick that workers couldn't get back to work. So even if it wasn't an official government lockdown, there there wouldn't have been enough workers to keep the economy going. And so this change was made to go from 10 days to five days. And what that told bosses and managers everywhere is if your employee is COVID positive, they can come back on day six. And they made these changes without making sure that there was rapid testing that was available and accessible for people so they could at least test and make sure it was safe and they were not contagious and they go back to work. This was also done in the context of there also not being easily available therapeutics. And 
you know, empty shelves that didn't have rapid tests. So they cut these guidelines. So it, it would be one thing if the words and how she expressed herself were the only critique, but these words came hand in hand with a change in policies that made the vulnerable even more vulnerable. And what they did was they tacked on a little, a little bit of extra language saying, you know, between days six and 10, do your best to stay away from people who are at higher risk as if people have, you know, with liver disease or chronic kidney disease have these diagnoses stamped on their forehead. So when people come back to work on day six, possibly contagious, they can stay away from their vulnerable colleagues. It, it, was, it was ridiculous. And it really, it really felt like, oh, you're making it very clear that our lives don't matter. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, as we mentioned, a lot of other people felt the same way when they saw those comments. Um, Lindsay Ryan, um, when we're talking about the sorts of measures that are being dropped right now. Wondering if you could give just some uh, firsthand account of uh, what that's like at this moment, you know, walking into a supermarket, seeing fewer people with masks on. From your perspective, does that give a sense of less safety, less security, not having that uh, protective barrier on uh, other people's faces? It does somewhat. I mean, I think I would say what's become clear to me in the last couple of years in terms of how policies are formulated is that it's as though society has a risk set point. And if there's more risk than that in society writ large, restrictions are implemented. And if there's less risk, they're relaxed. But that risk set point, it really doesn't take into account the lives of people with compromised immune systems. So the societal risk set point, it's, it's higher than the amount of risk that most immune compromised people can reasonably take. And so the result is every time I get to the point where the risk level is dropping, caseloads are dropping, um, restrictions get dropped at the same time. And suddenly the freedom that I was just on the brink of being able to realize I can't. I'll give you an example. You know, I would, I was so excited as the Omicron surge started abating that I could finally probably with an N95 and a ton of precautions, get on a plane, fly to Seattle, hang out with my nieces. Um, maybe in, you know, a few weeks. And then now the federal mask mandate on airlines is set to expire in the middle of March. So I think that's a perfect example of the mismatch. And I saw Dipti nodding along there. Has that been your experience as well? Absolutely. I, you know, that I haven't gotten on an airplane in two years and um, so much of my life is travel and to feel that, well, I guess this is an avenue of life that might not be readily available to me and people like me. The idea that that this would be such an easy intervention, you know, masking on a plane, such an easy intervention would be lifted with, it feels like no regard for what that impact would have on immune compromised people. You know, policy after policy like this really feels like a slap in the face. It, it does. And it feels like um, our lives, our quality of life, our mental health, our physical health, none of that is taken into account. And want to get your thoughts, both of you, on, I guess, a, a, just going to put in a, a, a feeling that I'm sure many folks out there have right now, and it's a little bit of an uncomfortable feeling, but that a lot of people do feel like they've been going through this pandemic for so long, they're ready for it to be over. And um, that the needs of the many, uh, again, 
putting it in an uncomfortable way, uh, outweigh the needs of the few. Um, have, have you run into that uh, opinion, Lindsay Ryan? For sure. I mean, I think there's a number of important points. One is that even aside from the philosophical argument over the needs of the many versus the needs of the few, we're actually not talking about the few. Um, immunocompromised people are perhaps seven plus million people in this nation. And I think there's the assumption that um, it's, it's a small number of people who are really severely sick and secluded. Immunocompromised people are everywhere. And it's you know, interesting working in the ER because none of my patients would know that I'm immunocompromised and people are often ripping off their mask. And I think there's, it doesn't even occur to them that I could be high risk. Um, so there's, there's that side of things, which is that this really affects a lot of people. Um, but there's also the point that the measures we need to take are measures that we should be taking anyway that are going to benefit a lot of people, like good access to therapeutics. Um, and then I think no immunocompromised people want indefinite draconian restrictions. What they want are better policies that will make society safer for them, but safer for everybody. Yeah. And uh, Dipti Barot, your uh, thoughts on that as well? Yeah. I said in my essay that I wrote that, you know, immunocompromised people should be the measuring stick. And the reality is what benefits us benefits everyone. So whether it's paid medical leave, whether it's flexible work policies, whether it's the ability to access medication when you need. You know, every single person is just one diagnosis away, one slip and fall down their driveway, one car accident away from potentially being disabled, potentially being immune compromised. So this is a group of people that at any moment, you know, you could be them, you could be me you're one diagnosis away from being me. And so when you put into place policies that benefit me, you ultimately are putting into place policies that benefit you and people you love. And this idea that it's okay that we've lost, you know, we've lost one in 100 Americans over the age of 65 to COVID. That is an unacceptable number. I, I do not accept that people over 65, their lives matter less than those under 65, and it's okay to sacrifice them. I do not accept the idea that, well, we lost a lot of dialysis patients, but you know, they were dialysis patients, it's fine. Or we lost a lot of people who were incarcerated, but they were incarcerated, it's fine. So the normal that we wanna go back to is not in the normal of two years ago. We as a society can do better. We can do better. We don't have to have a healthcare system where you're one diagnosis away from losing your job, losing your home, and being homeless because our healthcare system means that you get healthcare only if you have a job. I mean, the the metric for what is normal was never okay. And so it's not something, it's not a goal to go back to. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty-five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile, get four iPhone 15s on us, and four lines for twenty-five bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. 
Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseballs and boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did. Well, uh, we only have a few minutes left in the program and uh, want to reintroduce you both one more time. Uh, once again, this is KCBS In Depth. I'm Keith Manconi. Today, we are talking about the continued risks facing the Bay Area's immunocompromised residents as COVID measures begin to drop. We are speaking with two of those immunocompromised residents, both of them doctors, medical doctors working in the Bay Area. That would be Lindsay Ryan as well as Dipti Barot. And in this last section of the conversation, I wanted to switch focuses just a little bit and talk about this general sense of disconnect, uh, this the sense that there is a lack of understanding about the situation that medically vulnerable people are in at this moment. And, uh, well, I got a sense of that in speaking with another parent of uh, an immunocompromised child. So uh, we're going to bring her voice into the conversation now. That would be Salinas resident Ileana Lopez, who says that given her baby's risks, she needs to be quite upfront with people out in public. I have a little sign in her stroller, and it actually says to please stay away, don't touch me, just so people are aware, you know. Her daughter, Emma, is just a year and a half old, born during a time of pandemic with a congenital heart defect that has necessitated multiple surgeries already. Ileana has been as careful as she can be, staying home for the most part and controlling who gets close to her baby, as we just heard. But others don't always understand her level of caution, including family members. When we first came home that people wanted, like my sister's, They wanted to come and meet her, and it was really hard to say, like, no. In fact, many family meetings had to take place on opposite ends of a window. And Ileana says this level of precaution has sparked some friction. Maybe they think that we do exaggerate sometimes. You know, they take it the wrong way. Um, They don't quite understand, and they think, like, oh, you guys are being so dramatic about it, you know? But it's just... You know, we're being cautious, and that's a part they don't understand, you know? Ileana says that it's gotten to the point where she and her family members have lost contact with some people, and she suspects some of the disconnect comes down to the experience that uh, her friends and uh, extended family members who caught COVID have had, you know, just that they recovered quickly and they feel that the virus isn't that big of a deal. 
here's what she wishes they understood. You thought that way, you know, but you don't know how I might get or how my daughter might get, you know? So it's like, I'm not going to put her at that risk. And that was Ileana Lopez. Lindsay Ryan, bringing you back into the conversation, uh, wondering if you could address that uh, sense of uh, a disconnect. Uh, do, do you feel like that's been something that's uh, been widespread over the course of the pandemic? Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, I think it's really hard to convey the experience of being immunocompromised in the pandemic as that feeling of ever-present risk is really ebbing for a lot of people um, and or has already ebbed for quite a while. Um, but I think, you know, all most of us want to do is live in a society where we can live relatively full lives like before the pandemic. And I think we deserve that as much as anyone else. Uh, and uh, speaking to you before we turn these microphones on, it sounds like there are steps that uh, your friends have taken to uh, help your return to normalcy somewhat. Sure. Yeah, they have. I mean, there's, you know, fundamentally, I think the main changes that need to occur are policy level changes. So I don't want to distract from that. But I also do think on an individual level, people can consider how to make their plans more inclusive. Like, for instance, including outdoor options in a gathering. Um, or if they know they have friends or colleagues who are immunocompromised, asking, well, what can I do to make things safer so you can participate? Um, and that inclusive approach, you know, the just one would be to approach life assuming that those around you are at high risk. So you don't constantly shift the burden onto them. So I mentioned to you, Keitha, you know, a few days ago, I was able to go to a small party and to see that there's an outdoor space that a handful of other people still have masks, but I don't have to navigate an awkward and risky situation. And I can just relax like everyone else. And that's a huge weight off my shoulders. It's a weight I rarely get to take off. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Dipti Barot, uh, what else would you want, you know, average listeners to take away from this conversation about how they could be more supportive? Well, what I'd want people to take away is that we are invariably all connected. And if if anything um, showed us that, it's a, a respiratory virus that could spread from person to person very easily. And whether that connection is between, you know, if you're an essential worker and you're coming to a place of business, try and think about what it's like for that employee. They may have immune compromise. You might not know about it. Would you want to protect them? If you were that essential worker with immune compromise, would you want clients or customers to come in with a mask or without a mask? Think about, you know, just you don't have to use your imagination and stretch too far to see that we it's not hard to make things a little bit safer. And whether it's advocating for vaccine equity globally, because we know we're all connected, you know, and the next variant is likely gonna be in somebody who is either not vaccinated or potentially somebody with immune compromise. And so when we prioritize each other, we prioritize ourselves. Yeah, and I think that that's a very good point to leave this conversation on. So. Uh, rounding things out now, uh, once again, we've been speaking with Lindsay Ryan. She is an internal medicine and HIV doctor in San Francisco. Lindsay Ryan, thanks for coming on. Thank you so much. And we just heard a second ago from Dipti Barot, a primary care physician in the East Bay. Dipti, thanks to you as well. It was a pleasure, Keith. Thank you. Also want to give a special thank you to two Bay Area nonprofits that helped put us in touch with the families that you heard from today. 
First, that would be support for families of children with disabilities, based out of San Francisco. And also want to thank Coastal Kids Home Care. It's a nonprofit based out of Salinas, providing at-home health care to medically vulnerable children. Uh, just as a quick aside, uh, speaking to their director, I uh, got some sense of the tremendous effort that went into making sure those services could continue even through the pandemic. So I uh, definitely want to commend both of those groups for all the work that they've been doing. Uh, and uh, finally, as we always do to close out the program, I want to thank you for listening. For KCBS and In Depth, I'm Keith Menconi. Stay safe, be well. We'll see you next week. You've been listening to KCBS In Depth. Get every episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other podcast platforms. Visit kcbsradio.com for more news and interviews. We are the Bay Area's news station, KCBS. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Baseball is back. And so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.